Section 7 of The Great Encyclical Letters of Pope Leo XIII. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Human Liberty Encyclical Letter Libertas Prestantissimum June twentieth, 1888 Liberty, the highest of natural endowment, being the portion only of intellectual or rational natures, confers on man this dignity, that he is, in the hand of his counsel and his power over his actions. But the manner in which such dignity is exercised is of the greatest moment, inasmuch as on the use that is made of liberty, the highest good and the greatest evil alike depend. Man, indeed, is free to obey his reason, to seek moral good, and to strive unswervingly after his last end yet he is free also to turn aside to all other things and in pursuing the empty semblance of good to disturb rightful order and to fall headlong into the destruction which he has voluntarily chosen the redeemer of mankind jesus christ having restored and exalted the original dignity of nature vouchsafed special assistance to the will of man and by the gifts of his grace here and the promise of heavenly bliss hereafter he raised it to a nobler state. In like manner, the great gift of nature has ever been, and always will be, deservingly cherished by the Catholic Church, for to her alone has been committed the charge of handing down to all ages the benefits purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Yet there are many who imagine that the Church is hostile to human liberty. Having a false and absurd notion as to what liberty is, either they pervert the very idea of freedom or they extend it at their pleasure to many things in respect of which man cannot rightly be regarded as free we have on other occasions and especially in our encyclical letter immortali dei in treating of the so-called modern liberties distinguished between their good and evil elements and we have shown that whatsoever is good in those liberties is as ancient as truth itself and that the church has always most willingly approved and practised that good but whatsoever has been added as new is to tell the plain truth of a vitiated kind the fruit of the disorders of the age and of an insatiate longing after novelties seeing however that many cling so obstinately to their own opinion in this matter as to imagine these modern liberties cankered as they are to be the greatest glory of our age and the very basis of civil life without which no perfect government can be conceived we feel it a pressing duty for the sake of the common good to treat separately of this subject it is with moral liberty whether in individuals or in communities that we proceed at once to deal but first of all it will be well to speak briefly of natural liberty for though it is distinct and separate from moral liberty natural freedom is the fountain-head which liberty of whatsoever kind flows suavi suaque sponte the unanimous consent and judgment of men which is the trusty voice of nature recognizes this natural liberty in those only who are endowed with intelligence or reason and it is by his use of this that man is rightly regarded as responsible for his actions for while other animate creatures follow their senses seeking good and avoiding evil only by instinct 
man has reason to guide him in each and every act of his life reason sees that whatever things that are held to be good upon earth may exist or may not and discerning that none of them are of necessity for us it leaves the will free to choose what it pleases but man can judge of this contingency as we say only because he has a soul that is simple spiritual and intellectual a soul therefore which is not produced by matter and does not depend on matter for its existence but which is created immediately by god and far surpassing the condition of things material has a life and action of its own so that knowing the unchangeable and necessary reasons of what is true and good it sees that no particular kind of good is necessary to us when therefore it is established that man's soul is immortal and endowed with reason and not bound up with things material the foundation of natural liberty is at once most firmly laid as the catholic church declares in the strongest terms the simplicity spirituality and immortality of the soul so with unequalled constancy and publicity she ever also asserts its freedom these truths she has always taught and has sustained them as a dogma of faith and whenever heretics or innovators have attacked the liberty of man the church has defended it and protected this noble possession from destruction history bears witness to the energy with which she met the fury of the manichaeans and others like them and the earnestness with which in later years she defended human liberty in the council of trent and against the followers of jansenius is known to all at no time and in no place has she held truce with fatalism liberty then as we have said belongs only to those who have the gift of reason or intelligence considered as to its nature it is the faculty of choosing means fitted for the end proposed for he is master of his actions who can choose one thing out of many now since everything chosen as a means is viewed as good or useful and since good as such is the proper object of our desire it follows that freedom of choice is a property of the will or rather is identical with the will in so far as it has its action and faculty of choice but the will cannot proceed to act until it is enlightened by the knowledge possessed by the intellect in other words the good wished by the will is necessarily good in so far as it is known by the intellect and this the more because in all voluntary acts choice is subsequent to a judgment upon the truth of the good presented declaring to which good preference should be given no sensible man can doubt that judgment is an act of reason not of the will the end or object both of the rational will and of its liberty is that good only which is in conformity with reason since however both these faculties are imperfect it is impossible as is often seen that the reason should propose something which is not really good but which has the appearance of good and that the will should choose accordingly for as a possibility of error and actual error are defects of the mind and attest its imperfection so the pursuit of what has a false appearance of good though a proof of our freedom just as a disease is a proof of our vitality implies defect in human liberty the will also simply because of its dependence on the reason no sooner desires anything contrary thereto than it abuses its freedom of choice and corrupts its very essence 
thus it is that the infinitely perfect god although supremely free because of the supremacy of his intellect and of his essential goodness nevertheless cannot choose evil neither can the angels and saints who enjoy the beatific vision st augustine and others urged most admirably against the pelagians that if the possibility of a deflection from good belonged to the essence or perfection of liberty then god jesus christ and the angels and saints who have not this power would have no liberty at all or would have less liberty than man has in his state of pilgrimage and imperfection this subject is often discussed by the angelic doctor in his demonstration that the possibility of sinning is not freedom but slavery it will suffice to quote his subtle commentary on the words of our lord whosoever committed sin is the slave of sin everything he says is that which belongs to it naturally when therefore it acts through a power outside itself it does not act of itself but through another that is as a slave but man is by nature rational when therefore he acts according to reason he acts of himself and according to his free will and this is liberty whereas when he sins he acts in opposition to reason is moved by another and is the victim of foreign misapprehensions therefore whosoever committeth sin is the slave of sin even the heathen philosophers clearly recognized this truth especially they who held that the wise man alone is free and by the term wise man was meant as is well known the man trained to live in accordance with his nature that is in justice and virtue such then being the condition of human liberty it necessarily stands in need of light and strength to direct its actions to good and to restrain them from evil without this the freedom of our will would be our ruin first of all there must be law that is a fixed rule of teaching what is to be done and what is to be left undone this rule cannot affect the lower animals in any true sense since they act of necessity following their natural instinct and cannot of themselves act in any other way on the other hand as was said above he who is free can either act or not act can do this or do that as he please because his judgment precedes his choice and his judgment not only decides what is right or wrong of its own nature but also what is practically good and therefore to be chosen and what is practically evil and therefore to be avoided in other words the reason prescribes to the will what it should seek after or shun in order to the eventual attainment of man's last end for the sake of which all his actions ought to be performed this ordination of reason is called law in man's free will therefore or in the moral necessity of our voluntary arts being in accordance with reason lies the very root of the necessity of law nothing more foolish can be uttered or conceived than the notion that because man is free by nature he is therefore exempt from law were this the case it would follow that to become free we must be deprived of reason whereas the truth is that we are bound to submit to law precisely because we are free by our very nature for law is the guide of man's actions it turns him toward good by its rewards and deters him from evil by its punishments foremost in this office comes the natural law 
which is written and engraved in the mind of every man and this is nothing but our reason commanding us to do right and forbidding sin nevertheless all prescriptions of human reason can have force of law only inasmuch as they are the voice and the interpreters of some higher power on which our reason and liberty necessarily depend for since the force of law consists in the imposing of obligations and the granting of rights authority is the one and only foundation of all law the power that is of fixing duties and defining rights as also of assigning the necessary sanctions of reward and chastisement to each and all of its commands but all this clearly cannot be found in man if as his own supreme legislator he is to be the rule of his own actions it follows therefore that the law of nature is the same thing as the eternal law implanted in rational creatures and inclining them to their right action and end and can be nothing else but the eternal reason of god the creator and ruler of all the world to this rule of action and restraint of evil god has vouchsafed to give special and most suitable aids for strengthening and ordering the human will the first and most excellent of these is the power of his divine grace whereby the mind can be enlightened and the will wholesomely invigorated and moved to the constant pursuit of moral good so that the use of our inborn liberty becomes at once less difficult and less dangerous not that the divine assistance hinders in any way the free movement of our will just the contrary for grace works inwardly in man and in harmony with his natural inclinations since it flows from the very creature of his mind and will by whom all things are moved in conformity with their nature as the angelic doctor points out it is because divine grace comes from the author of nature that it is so admirably adapted to be the safeguard of all nature and to maintain the character efficiency and operations of each foremost in this office comes the natural law which is written and engraved in the mind of every man and this is nothing but our reason commanding us to do right and forbidding sin nevertheless all prescriptions of human reason can have force of law only inasmuch as they are the voice and the interpreters of some higher power on which our reason and liberty necessarily depend for since the force of law consists in the imposing of obligations and the granting of rights authority is the one and only foundation of all law the power that is of fixing duties and defining rights as also of assigning the necessary sanctions of reward and chastisement to each and all of its commands but all this clearly cannot be found in man if as his own supreme legislator he is to be the rule of his own actions it follows therefore that the law of nature is the same thing as the eternal law implanted in rational creatures and inclining them to their right action and end and can be nothing else but the eternal reason of god the creator and ruler of all the world to this rule of action and restraint of evil god has vouchsafed to give special and most suitable aids for strengthening and ordering the human will the first and most excellent of these is the power of his divine grace whereby the mind can be enlightened and the will wholesomely invigorated and moved to the constant pursuit of moral good so that the use of our inborn liberty becomes at once less difficult and less dangerous not that the divine assistance hinders in any way the free movement of our will just the contrary 
for grace works inwardly in man and in harmony with his natural inclinations since it flows from the very creator of his mind and will by whom all things are moved in conformity with their nature as the angelic doctor points out it is because divine grace comes from the author of nature that it is so admirably adapted to be the safeguard of all natures and to maintain the character efficiency and operations of each what has been said of the liberty of individuals is no less applicable to them when considered as bound together in civil society for what reason and the natural law do for individuals that human law promulgated for their good does for the citizens of states of the laws enacted by men some are concerned with what is good or bad by its very nature and they command men to follow after what is right and to shun what is wrong adding at the same time a suitable sanction but such laws by no means derive their origin from civil society because just as civil society did not create human nature so neither can it be said to be the author of the good which befits human nature or of the evil which is contrary to it laws come before men live together in society and have their origin in the natural and consequently in the eternal law the precepts therefore of the natural law contained bodily in the laws of men have not merely the force of human law but they possess that higher and more august sanction which belongs to the law of nature and the eternal law and within the sphere of this kind of laws the duty of the civil legislator is mainly to keep the community in obedience by the adoption of a common discipline and by putting restraint upon refractory and viciously inclined men so that deterred from evil they may turn to what is good or at any rate may avoid causing trouble and disturbance to the state now there are other enactments of the civil authority which do not follow directly but somewhat remotely from the natural law and decide many points which the law of nature treats only in a general and indefinite way for instance though nature commands all to contribute to the public peace and prosperity still whatever belongs to the manner and circumstances and conditions under which such service is to be rendered must be determined by the wisdom of men and not by nature herself it is in the constitution of these particular rules of life suggested by reason and prudence and put forth by competent authority that human law properly so called consists binding on all citizens to work together for the attainment of the common end proposed to the community and forbidding them to depart from this end and in so far as human law is in conformity with the dictates of nature leading to what is good and deterring from evil from this it is manifest that the eternal law of god is the sole standard and rule of human liberty not only in each individual man but also in the community and civil society which men constitute when united therefore the true liberty of human society does not consist in every man doing what he pleases for this would simply end in turmoil and confusion and bring on the overthrow of the state but rather in this that through the injunctions of the civil law all may more easily conform to the prescriptions of the eternal law likewise the liberty of those who are in authority does not consist in the power to lay unreasonable and capricious commands upon their subjects which would equally be criminal and would lead to the ruin of the commonwealth but the binding force of human laws is in this 
that they are to be regarded as applications of the eternal law and incapable of sanctioning anything which is not contained in the eternal law as in the principle of all law thus st augustine most wisely says i think that you can see at the same time that there is nothing just and lawful in that temporal law unless what men have gathered from this eternal law if then by any one in authority something be sanctioned out of conformity with the principles of right reason and consequently hurtful to the commonwealth such an enactment can have no binding force of law as being no rule of justice but certain to lead men away from that good which is the very end of civil society therefore the nature of human liberty however it be considered whether in individuals or in society whether in those who command or in those who obey supposes the necessity of obedience to some supreme and eternal law which is in no other than the authority of god commanding good and forbidding evil and so far from this most just authority of god over men diminishing or even destroying their liberty it protects and perfects it for the real perfection of all creatures is found in the prosecution and attainment of their respective ends but the supreme end to which human liberty must aspire is god these precepts of the truest and highest teaching made known to us by the light of reason itself the church instructed by the example and doctrine of her divine author has ever propagated and asserted for she has ever made them the measure of her office and of her teaching to the christian nations as to morals the laws of the gospel not only immeasurably surpass the wisdom of the heathen but are an invitation and an introduction to a state of holiness unknown to the ancients and bringing man nearer to god they make him at once the possessor of a more perfect liberty thus the powerful influence of the church has ever been manifested in the custody and protection of the civil and political liberty of the people the enumeration of its merits in this respect does not belong to our present purpose it is sufficient to recall the fact that slavery the old reproach of the heathen nations was mainly abolished by the beneficent efforts of the church the impartiality of law and the true brotherhood of man were first asserted by jesus christ and his apostles re-echoed his voice when they declared that in future there was to be neither jew nor gentile nor barbarian nor scythian but all were brothers in christ so powerful so conspicuous in this respect is the influence of the church that experience abundantly testifies how savage customs are no longer possible in any land where she has once set her foot but that gentleness speedily takes the place of cruelty and the light of truth quickly dispels the darkness of barbarism nor has the church been less lavish in the benefits she has conferred on civilized nations in every age either by resisting the tyranny of the wicked or by protecting the innocent and helpless from injury or finally by using her influence in the support of any form of government which commended itself to the citizens at home because of its justice or was feared by their enemies without because of its power moreover the highest duty is to respect authority and obediently to submit to just law and by this the members of a community are effectually protected from the wrongdoing of evil men lawful power is from god and whosoever resisteth authority resisteth the ordinance of god 
wherefore obedience is greatly ennobled when subjected to an authority which is the most just and supreme of all but where the power to command is wanting or where a law is enacted contrary to reason or to the eternal law or to some ordinance of god obedience is unlawful lest while obeying man we become disobedient to god thus an effectual barrier being opposed to tyranny the authority in the state will not have all its own way but the interests and rights of all will be safeguarded the rights of individuals of domestic society and of all the members of the commonwealth all being free to live according to law and right reason and in this as we have shown true liberty really consists if when men discuss the question of liberty they were careful to grasp its true and legitimate meaning such as reason and reasoning have just explained they would never venture to affix such a calumny on the church as to assert that she is the foe to individual and public liberty but many there are who follow in the footsteps of lucifer and adopt as their own his rebellious cry i will not serve and consequently substitute for true liberty what is sheer and most foolish license such for instance are the men belonging to that widely spread and powerful organization who usurping the name of liberty style themselves liberals what naturalists or rationalists aim at in philosophy that the supporters of liberalism carry out the principle laid down by naturalism are attempting in the domain of morality and politics the fundamental doctrine of rationalism is the supremacy of the human reason which refusing due submission to the divine and eternal reason proclaims its own independence and constitutes itself the supreme principle and source and judge of truth hence these followers of liberalism deny the existence of any divine authority to which obedience is due and proclaim that every man is the law to himself from which arises that ethical system which they style independent morality and which under the guise of liberty exonerates man from any obedience to the commands of god and substitutes a boundless license the end of all this it is not difficult to foresee especially when society is in question for when once man is firmly persuaded that he is subject to no one it follows that the efficient cause of the unity of civil society is not to be sought in any principle external to man or superior to him but simply in the free will of individuals that the authority in the state comes from the people only and that just as every man's individual reason is his own rule of life so the collective reason of the community should be the supreme guide in the management of all public affairs hence the doctrine of supremacy of the greater number and that all right and all duty reside in the majority but from what has been said it is clear that all this is in contradiction to reason to refuse any bond of union between man and civil society on the one hand and god the creator and consequently the supreme lawgiver on the other is plainly repugnant to the nature not only of man but of all created things for of necessity all effects must in some proper way be connected with their cause and it belongs to the perfection of every nature to contain itself within that sphere and grade which the order of nature has assigned to it namely that the lower should be subject and obedient to the higher moreover besides this a doctrine of such character is most hurtful both to individuals and to the state 
for once ascribe to human reason the only authority to decide what is true and what is good and the real distinction between good and evil is destroyed honor and dishonor differ not in their nature but in the opinion and judgment of each one pleasure in the measure of what is lawful and given a code of morality which can have little or no power to restrain or quiet the unruly propensities of man a way is naturally open to universal corruption with reference also to public affairs authority is severed from the true and natural principle whence it derives all its efficacy for the common good and the law determining what it is right to do and avoid doing is at the mercy of a majority now this is simply a road leading straight to tyranny the empire of god over man and civil society once repudiated it follows that religion as a public institution can have no claim to exist and that everything that belongs to religion will be treated with complete indifference furthermore with ambitious designs on sovereignty tumult and sedition will be common amongst the people and when duty and conscience cease to appeal to them there will be nothing to hold them back but force which of itself alone is powerless to keep their covetousness in check of this we have almost daily evidence in the conflict with socialists and members of other seditious societies who labor unceasingly to bring about revolution it is for those then who are capable of forming a just estimate of things to decide whether such doctrines promote that true liberty which alone is worthy of man or rather pervert and destroy it there are indeed some adherents of liberalism who do not subscribe to these opinions which we have seen to be fearful in their enormity openly opposed to the truth and the cause of most terrible evils indeed very many amongst them compelled by the force of truth do not hesitate to admit that such liberty is vicious nay is simple license whenever intemperate in its claims to the neglect of truth and justice and therefore they would have liberty ruled and directed by right reason and consequently subject to the natural law and to the divine eternal law and here they think they may stop holding that man as a free being is bound by no law of god except such as he makes known to us through our natural reason in this they are plainly inconsistent for if as they must admit and no one can rightly deny the will of the divine lawgiver is to be obeyed because every man is under the power of god and tends toward him as his end it follows that no one can assign limits to his legislative authority without failing in the obedience which is due indeed if the human mind be so presumptuous as to define the nature and extent of god's rights and its own duties reverence for the divine law will be apparent rather than real and arbitrary judgment will prevail over the authority and providence of god man must therefore take his standard of a loyal and religious life from the eternal law and from all and every one of those laws which god in his infinite wisdom and power has been pleased to enact and to make known to us by such clear and unmistakable signs as to leave no room for doubt and the more so because laws of this kind have the same origin the same author as the eternal law are absolutely in accordance with right reason and perfect the natural law these laws it is that embody the government of god who graciously guides and directs both the intellect and the will of man lest these fall into error let then that continue to remain in a holy and inviolable union which neither can nor should be separated and in all things 
for this is the dictate of right reason itself let god be dutifully and obediently served there are others somewhat more moderate though not more consistent who affirm that the morality of individuals is to be guided by the divine law but not the morality of the state so that in public affairs the commands of god may be passed over and may be entirely disregarded in the framing of laws hence follows the fatal theory of the need of separation between church and state but the absurdity of such a position is manifest nature herself proclaims the necessity of the state providing means and opportunities whereby the community may be enabled to live properly that is to say according to the laws of god for since god is the source of all goodness and justice it is absolutely ridiculous that the state should pay no attention to these laws or render them abortive by contrary enactments besides those who are in authority owe it to the commonwealth not only to provide for its external well-being and the conveniences of life but still more to consult the welfare of men's souls in the wisdom of their legislation but for the increase of such benefits nothing more suitable can be conceived than the laws which have god for their author and therefore they who in their government of the state take no account of these laws abuse political power by causing it to deviate from its proper end and from what nature itself prescribes and what is still more important and what we have more than once pointed out although the civil authority has not the same proximate end as the spiritual nor proceeds on the same line nevertheless in the exercise of their separate powers they must occasionally meet for their subjects are the same and not infrequently they deal with the same objects though in different ways whenever this occurs since a state of conflict is absurd and manifestly repugnant to the most wise ordinance of god there must necessarily exist some order or mode of procedure to remove the occasions of difference and contention and to secure harmony in all things this harmony has been not inaptly compared to that which exists between the body and the soul for the well-being of both one and the other the separation of which brings irremediable harm to the body since it extinguishes its very life to make this more evident the growth of liberty ascribed to our age must be considered apart in its various details and first let us examine that liberty in individuals which is so opposed to the virtue of religion namely the liberty of worship as it is called this is based on the principle that every man is free to profess as he may choose any religion or none but assuredly of all the duties which man has to fulfil that without doubt is the chiefest and holiest which commands him to worship god with devotion and piety this follows of necessity from the truth that we are ever in the power of god are ever guided by his will and providence and having come forth from him must return to him add to which no true virtue can exist without religion for moral virtue is concerned with those things which lead to god as man's supreme and ultimate good and therefore religion which as st thomas says performs those actions which are directly and immediately ordained for the divine honour rules and tempers all virtues and if it be asked which of the many conflicting religions it is necessary to adopt reason and the natural law unhesitatingly tell us to practise that one which god enjoins 
and which men can easily recognize by certain exterior notes whereby divine providence has willed that it should be distinguished because in a matter of such moment the most terrible loss will be the consequence of error wherefore when a liberty such as we have described is offered to man the power is given him to pervert or abandon with impunity the most sacred of duties and to exchange the unchangeable good for evil which as we have said is no liberty but its degradation and the abject submission of the soul to sin this kind of liberty if considered in relation to the state clearly implies that there is no reason why the state should offer any homage to god or should desire any public recognition of him that no one form of worship is to be preferred to another but that all stand on an equal footing no account being taken of the religion of the people even if they profess the catholic faith but to justify this it must needs be taken as true that the state has no duties towards god or that such duties if they exist can be abandoned with impunity both of which assertions are manifestly false for it cannot be doubted but that by the will of god men are united into civil society whether its component parts be considered or its form which implies authority or the object of its existence or the abundance of the vast services which it renders to man god it is who has made man for society and has placed him in the company of others like himself so that what was wanting to his nature and beyond his attainment if left to his own resources he might obtain by association with others wherefore civil society must acknowledge god as its founder and parent and must obey and reverence his power and authority justice therefore forbids and reason itself forbids the state to be godless or to adopt a line of action which would end in godlessness namely to treat the various religions as they call them alike and to bestow upon them promiscuously equal rights and privileges since then the religion must be professed which alone is true and which can be recognized without difficulty especially in catholic states because the marks of truth are as it were engraven upon it this religion therefore the rulers of the state must preserve and protect if they would provide as they should do with prudence and usefulness for the good of the community for public authority exists for the welfare of those whom it governs and although its proximate end is to lead men to the prosperity found in this life yet in so doing it ought not to diminish but rather to increase man's capability of attaining to the supreme good in which his everlasting happiness consists which never can be attained if religion be disregarded all this however we have explained more fully elsewhere and we now only wish to add the remark that liberty of so false a nature is greatly hurtful to the true liberty of both rulers and their subjects religion of its essence is wonderfully helpful to the state for since it derives the prime origin of all power directly from god himself with grave authority it charges rulers to be mindful of their duty to govern without injustice or severity to rule their people kindly and with almost paternal charity it admonishes subjects to be obedient to lawful authority as to the ministers of god and it binds them to their rulers not merely by obedience but by reverence and affection 
forbidding all seditions and venturesome enterprises calculated to disturb public order and tranquillity and cause greater restrictions to be put upon the liberty of the people we need not mention how greatly religion conduces to pure morals and pure morals to liberty reason shows and history confirms the fact that the higher the morality of states the greater are the liberty and wealth and power which they enjoy we must now consider briefly liberty of speech and liberty of the press it is hardly necessary to say that there can be no such right as this if it be not used in moderation and if it pass beyond the bounds and end of all true liberty for right is a moral power which as we have before said and must again and again repeat is absurd to suppose that nature has accorded indifferently to truth and falsehood to justice and injustice men have a right freely and prudently to propagate throughout the state what things soever are true and honourable so that as many as possible may possess them but lying opinions than which no mental plague is greater and vices which corrupt the heart and moral life should be diligently repressed by public authority lest they insidiously work the ruin of the state the excesses of an unbridled intellect which unfailingly end in the oppression of the untutored multitude are no less rightly controlled by the authority of the law than are the injuries inflicted by violence upon the weak and this all the more surely because by far the greater part of the community is either absolutely unable or able only with great difficulty to escape from illusions and deceitful subtleties especially such as flatter the passions if unbridled license of speech and of writing be granted to all nothing will remain sacred and inviolate even the highest and truest mandates of nature justly held to be the common and noblest heritage of the human race will not be spared thus truth being gradually obscured by darkness perniciousness and manifold error as too often happens will easily prevail thus too license will gain what liberty loses for liberty will ever be more free and secure in proportion as license is kept in fuller restraint in regard however to all matters of opinion which god leaves to man's free discussion full liberty of thought and of speech is naturally within the right of every one for such liberty never leads men to suppress the truth but often to discover it and make it known a like judgment must be passed upon what is called liberty of teaching there can be no doubt that truth alone should imbue the minds of men for in it are found the well-being the end and the perfection of every intelligent nature and therefore nothing but truth should be taught to the ignorant and to the educated so as to bring knowledge to those who have it not and to preserve it in those who possess it for this reason it is plainly the duty of all who teach to banish error from the mind and by short safeguards to close the entry to all false convictions from this it follows as is evident that the liberty of which we have been speaking is greatly opposed to reason and tends absolutely to pervert men's minds inasmuch as it claims for itself the right of teaching whatever it pleases a liberty which the state cannot grant without failing in its duty and the more so because the authority of teachers has great weight with their hearers who can rarely decide for themselves as to the truth or falsehood of the instruction given to them 
wherefore this liberty also in order that it may deserve the name must be kept within certain limits lest the office of teaching be turned with impunity into an instrument of corruption now truth which should be the only subject matter of those who teach is of two kinds natural and supernatural of natural truths such as the principles of nature and whatever is derived from them immediately by our reason there is a kind of common patrimony in the human race on this as on a firm basis morality justice religion and the very bonds of human society rest and to allow people to go unharmed who violate or destroy it would be most impious most foolish and most inhuman but with no less religious care must we preserve that great and sacred treasure of the truths which god himself has taught us by many and convincing arguments often used by defenders of christianity certain leading truths have been laid down namely that some things have been revealed by god that the only begotten son of god was made flesh to bear witness to the truth that a perfect society was founded by him the church namely of which he is the head and with which he has promised to abide till the end of the world to this society he entrusted all the truths which he had taught in order that it might keep and guard them and with lawful authority explain them and at the same time he commanded all nations to hear the voice of the church as if it were his own threatening those who would not hear it with everlasting perdition thus it is manifest that man's best and surest teacher is god the source and principle of all truth and the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father the way the truth and the life the true light which enlightens every man and to whose teaching all must submit and they shall all be taught of god in faith and in the teaching of morality god himself made the church a partaker of his divine authority and through his heavenly gift she cannot be deceived she is therefore the greatest and most reliable teacher of mankind and in her dwells an inviolable right to teach them sustained by the truth received from her divine founder the church has ever sought to fulfil wholly the mission entrusted to her by god unconquered by the difficulties on all sides surrounding her she has never ceased to assert her liberty of teaching and in this way the wretched superstition of paganism being dispelled the wide world was renewed unto christian wisdom now reason itself clearly teaches that the truths of divine revelation and those of nature cannot really be opposed to one another and that whatever is at variance with them must necessarily be false therefore the divine teaching of the church so far from being an obstacle to the pursuit of learning and the progress of science or in any way retarding the advance of civilization in reality brings to them the sure guidance of shining light and for the same reason it is of no small advantage for the perfecting of human liberty since our saviour jesus christ has said that by truth is man made free you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free therefore there is no reason why genuine liberty should grow indignant or true science feel aggrieved at having to bear the just and necessary restraint of laws by which in the judgment of the church and of reason itself human teaching has to be controlled the church indeed as facts have everywhere proved looks chiefly and above all to the defence of the christian faith while careful at the same time to foster and promote every kind of human learning 
for learning is in itself good and praiseworthy and desirable and further all erudition which is the outgrowth of sound reason and in conformity with the truth of things serves not a little to confirm what we believe on the authority of god the church truly to our great benefit has carefully preserved the monuments of ancient wisdom has opened everywhere homes of science and has urged on intellectual progress by fostering more diligently the arts by which the culture of our age is so much advanced lastly we must not forget that a vast field lies freely open to man's industry and genius containing all those things which have no necessary connection with christian faith and morals or as to which the church exercising no authority leaves the judgment of the learned free and unconstrained from all this may be understood the nature and character of that liberty which the followers of liberalism so eagerly advocate and proclaim on the one hand they demand for themselves and for the state a license which opens the way to every perversity of opinion and on the other they hamper the church in divers ways restricting her liberty within narrowest limits although from her teaching not only is there nothing to be feared but in every respect very much to be gained another liberty is widely advocated namely liberty of conscience if by this is meant that every one may as he chooses worship god or not it is sufficiently refuted by the arguments already adduced but it may also be taken to mean that every man in the state may follow the will of god and from a consciousness of duty and free from every obstacle obey his commands this indeed is true liberty a liberty worthy of the sons of god which nobly maintains the dignity of man and is stronger than all violence or wrong a liberty which the church has always desired and held most dear this is the kind of liberty the apostles claim for themselves with intrepid constancy which the apologists of christianity confirmed by their writings and which the martyrs in vast numbers consecrated by their blood and deservedly so for this christian liberty bears witness to the absolute and most just dominion of god over man and to the chief and supreme duty of man towards god it has nothing in common with a seditious and rebellious mind and in no tittle derogates from obedience to public authority for the right to command and to require obedience exists only so far as it is in accordance with the authority of god and is within the measure that he has laid down but when anything is commanded which is plainly at variance with the will of god there is a wide departure from this divinely constituted order and at the same time a direct conflict with the divine authority therefore it is right not to obey by the patrons of liberalism however who make the state absolute and omnipotent and proclaim that man should live altogether independently of god the liberty of which we speak which goes in hand with virtue and religion is not admitted and whatever is done for its preservation is accounted an injury and an offence against the state indeed if what they say were really true there would be no tyranny no matter how monstrous which we should not be bound to endure and submit to the church most earnestly desires that the christian teaching of which we have given an outline should penetrate every rank of society in reality and in practice for it would be of the greatest efficacy in healing the evils of our day 
which are neither few nor slight, and are the offspring in great part of the false liberty, which is so much extolled, and in which the germs of safety and glory were supposed to be contained. The hope has been disappointed by the result. The fruit, instead of being sweet and wholesome, has proved cankered and bitter. If then a remedy is desired, let it be sought for in a restoration of sound doctrine, from which alone the preservation of order and, as a consequence, the defense of true liberty can be confidently expected. Yet, with the discernment of a true mother, the Church weighs the great burden of human weakness, and well knows the course down which the minds and actions of men are in this our age being born. For this reason, while not conceding any right to anything, save what is true and honest, she does not forbid public authority to tolerate what is at variance with truth and justice, for the sake of avoiding some greater evil, or of obtaining or preserving some greater good. God himself, in his providence, though infinitely good and powerful, permits evil to exist in the world, partly that greater good may not be impeded, and partly that greater evil may not ensue. In the government of states it is not forbidden to imitate the ruler of the world. And as the authority of man is powerless to prevent every evil, it has, as St. Augustine says, to overlook and leave unpunished many things which are punished, and rightly, by divine providence. But if, in such circumstances, for the sake of the common good, and this is the only legitimate reason, human law may or even should tolerate evil, it may not and should not approve or desire evil for its own sake. For evil of itself, being a privation of good, is opposed to the common welfare, which every legislator is bound to desire and defend to the best of his ability. In this, human law must endeavor to imitate God, who, as St. Thomas teaches, in allowing evil to exist in the world, neither wills evil to be done, nor wills it not to be done, but wills only to permit it to be done, and this is good. This saying of the angelic doctor contains briefly the whole doctrine of the permission of evil. But, to judge aright, we must acknowledge that the more a state is driven to tolerate evil, the further is it from perfection, and that the tolerance of evil, which is dictated by political prudence, should be strictly confined to the limits which its justifying cause, the public welfare, requires. Wherefore, if such tolerance would be injurious to the public welfare, and entail greater evils on the state, it would not be lawful. For in such case the motive of good is wanting, and although in the extraordinary condition of these times the Church usually acquiesces in certain modern liberties, not because she prefers them in themselves, but because she judges it expedient to permit them, she would in happier times exercise her own liberty, and, by persuasion, exhortation, and entreaty, would endeavor, as she is bound, to fulfill the duty assigned to her by God, of providing for the eternal salvation of mankind. One thing, however, remains always true, that the liberty which is claimed for all to do all things is not, as we have often said, of itself desirable, inasmuch as it is contrary to reason that error and truth should have equal rights. And as to tolerance, it is surprising how far removed from the equity and prudence of the Church are those who profess what is called liberalism, for, in allowing that boundless license of which we have spoken, they exceed all limits, 
and end at last by making no apparent distinction between truth and error honesty and dishonesty and because the church the pillar and ground of truth and the unerring teacher of morals is forced utterly to reprobate and condemn tolerance of such an abandoned and criminal character they calumniate her as being wanting in patience and gentleness and thus fail to see that in doing so they impute to her as a fault what is in reality a matter for commendation but in spite of all this show of tolerance it very often happens that while they profess themselves ready to lavish liberty on all in the greatest profusion they are utterly intolerant towards the catholic church by refusing to allow her the liberty of being herself free and now to reduce for clearness's sake to its principal heads all that has been set forth with its immediate conclusions the summing up is this briefly that man by a necessity of his nature is wholly subject to the most faithful and ever enduring power of god and that as a consequence any liberty except that which consists in submission to god and in subjection to his will is unintelligible to deny the existence of this authority in god or to refuse to submit to it means to act not as a free man but as one who treasonably abuses his liberty and in such a disposition of mind the chief and deadly vice of liberalism essentially consists the form however of the sin is manifold for in more ways and degrees than one can the will depart from the obedience which is due to god or to those who share the divine power for to reject the supreme authority of god and to cast off all obedience to him in public matters or even in private and domestic affairs is the greatest perversion of liberty and the worst kind of liberalism and what we have said must be understood to apply to this alone in its fullest sense next comes the system of those who admit indeed the duty of submitting to god the creator and ruler of the world and as much as all nature is dependent on his will but who boldly rejects all laws of faith and morals which are above natural reason but are revealed by the authority of god or who at least impudently assert that there is no reason why regard should be paid to these laws at any rate publicly by the state how mistaken these men also are and how inconsistent we have seen above from this teaching as from its source and principle flows that fatal principle of the separation of church and state whereas it is on the contrary clear that the two powers though dissimilar in functions and unequal in degree ought nevertheless to live in concord by harmony in their action and the faithful discharge of their respective duties but this teaching is understood in two ways many wish the state to be separated from the church wholly and entirely so that regard to every right of human society in institutions customs and laws the offices of state and the education of youth they would pay no more regard to the church than if she did not exist and at most would allow the citizens individually to attend to their religion in private if so minded against such as these all the arguments by which we disprove the principle of separation of church and state are conclusive with this superadded that it is absurd the citizen should respect the church while the state may hold her in contempt others oppose not the existence of the church nor indeed could they yet they despoil her of the nature and rights of a perfect society and maintain that it does not belong to her to legislate to judge or to punish 
but only to exhort to advise and to rule her subjects in accordance with their own consent and will by such opinion they pervert the nature of this divine society and attenuate and narrow its authority its office of teacher and its whole efficiency and at the same time they aggrandize the power of the civil government to such extent as to subject the church of god to the empire and sway of the state like any voluntary association of citizens to refute completely such teaching the arguments often used by the defenders of christianity and set forth by us especially in the encyclical letter immortali dei are of great avail for by those arguments it is proved that by a divine provision all the rights which essentially belong to a society that is legitimate supreme and perfect in all its parts exist in the church lastly there remain those who while they do not approve the separation of church and state think nevertheless that the church ought to adapt herself to the time and conform to what is required by the modern system of government such an opinion is sound if it is to be understood of some equitable adjustment consistent with truth and justice in so far namely that the church in the hope of some great good may show herself indulgent and may conform to the times in so far as her sacred office permits but it is not so in regard to practices and doctrines which a perversion of morals and a warped judgment have unlawfully introduced religion truth and justice must ever be maintained and as god has entrusted these great and sacred matters to the care of the church she can never be so unfaithful to her office as to dissemble in regard to what is false or unjust or to connive at what is hurtful to religion from what has been said it follows that it is quite unlawful to demand to defend or to grant unconditional freedom of thought of speech of writing or of worship as if these were so many rights given by nature to man for if nature had really granted them it would be lawful to refuse obedience to god and there would be no restraint on human liberty it likewise follows that freedom in these things may be tolerated wherever there is just cause but only with such moderation as will prevent its degenerating into license and excess and where such liberties are in use men should employ them in doing good and should estimate them as the church does for liberty is to be regarded as legitimate in so far only as it affords greater facility for doing good but no farther whenever there exists or there is reason to fear an unjust oppression of the people on the one hand or a deprivation of the liberty of the church on the other it is lawful to seek for such a change of government as will bring about due liberty of action in such case an excessive and vicious liberty is not sought for but only some relief for the common welfare in order that while license for evil is allowed by the state the power of doing good may not be hindered again it is not of itself wrong to prefer a democratic form of government if only the catholic doctrine be maintained as to the origin and exercise of power of the various forms of government the church does not reject any that are fitted to procure the welfare of the subject she wishes only and this nature itself requires that they should be constituted without involving wrong to any one and especially without violating the rights of the church unless it be otherwise determined by reason of some exceptionable condition of things it is expedient to take part in the administration of public affairs and the church approves of every one devoting his services to the common good 
and doing all that he can for the defence preservation and prosperity of his country neither does the church condemn those who if it can be done without violation of justice wish to make their country independent of any foreign or despotic power nor does she blame those who wish to assign to the state the power of self-government and to its citizens the greatest possible measure of prosperity the church has always most faithfully fostered civil liberty and this was seen especially in italy in the municipal prosperity and wealth and glory which were obtained at a time when the solitary power of the church had spread without opposition to all parts of the state these things venerable brothers which under the guidance of faith and reason in the discharge of our apostolic office we have now delivered to you we hope especially by your cooperation with us will be useful unto very many in lowliness of heart we raise our eyes in supplication to god and earnestly beseech him to shed mercifully the light of his wisdom and of his counsel upon men so that strengthened by these heavenly gifts they may in matters of such moment discern what is true and may afterwards in public and in private at all times and with unshaken constancy live in accordance with the truth as a pledge of these heavenly gifts and in witness of our good will to you venerable brothers and to the clergy and people committed to each of you we most lovingly grant in the lord the apostolic benediction End of section seven.